Good morning, everyone. And welcome to our second message in the series on the book of James. Actually, it's not a real book. It's more more a letter. And it's James' teachings and instructions to Jewish Christians around the world. Um, He says Jewish Christians because, I don't know if you know this, but the very first Christians were, in fact, Jewish people. And James was actually the, the first... Christian literature ever written. I don't know if you knew that. It's pretty, pretty cool to read that or to know that. So when you read the book of James or the letter of James, which I hope you've all done by now, uh, read it with the realization that this was really the first instruction ever given to the church. At Christmas time, I heard about a girl who was late for work every day. And this is a true story. It's not a joke. It's a true story. She was showing up late on a regular basis and this is not like her. She was one of those people who was always punctual, dependable. You always knew that this person was going to show up for work on time. And, and uh, she was the kind of person that uh, everybody knew that they could depend on. Well, she started showing up late. And one day, uh, after being late, about three, you know, maybe three or four times in a row, someone finally said to her, like, what's going on in your life? Are you in trouble? Do you need help? Are you, uh, are you suffering in some way and you're not telling anybody about it? Can we help? Well, it came out that she'd been going to morning mass. She'd been going to her, her uh, local uh, parish church, and the priest had told her, and I guess maybe told the whole congregation, I don't know for sure, but I know about her. The priest had told her that if she would come to mass at 6 o'clock in the morning, every morning, nine times in a row without missing, that God would grant her her wish. Did you hear that? Now, wouldn't that be cool if God really worked that way? Think of something that you want right now. Anybody have a wish? I'll have nine services at 6 a.m. every morning, and if you show up at the end of the nine weeks, God will grant you your wish. Poof. You know what? It's this kind of superstition and this kind of weird religion that James addresses. James has been called the most practical letter, the most practical book in the Bible. It really, really cuts through the garbage, the superstition. In fact, it's that kind of religion that makes the unbeliever, somebody who doesn't know Christ, look at us and think, what a bunch of weirdos. Are they really that gullible? Are they really that stupid? Hopefully, when we're done the book of James, you will agree with me that it is not just a a book for intelligent people, but that it really, really makes sense, and it really is a life-changing book of instruction. Some people think that, you know, when it comes to God, you know, if we just go go to to, to France, to Lourdes, that if we've got a, if we're in a wheelchair, we're sick, that God will somehow do something magical at that place. And then if we contact that TV preacher who's offering miracle spring water, has anybody seen that yet? Or if you send in X number of dollars, you'll get a green prayer cloth. And you put it on whatever is in need. And it's this kind of charlatanism that makes us really scratch our head and wonder, what have we become? Now, here's the problem with that kind of a religion is that they look at God and think and ask the question, what do I get? What's, what's the return on, on my faith? So it suddenly becomes a religion that's all about me. 
What do I get? What, do, what, what can I have? One preacher even says that if you would get his, drink his divine miracle water, that God will make some kind of a divine transfer into your bank account. And then he has one person after another say, I had $10,000 transferred into my account, and $5,000, $20,000, $100,000. very much a self-centered religion. But here's what you need to understand about Christianity. Is that Christianity is not a self-centered religion. And by the way, James is, what, James is the one who calls it a religion. It's a faith that's all about giving, not getting. But don't tune me out just yet for those of you who are thinking, well, hold on a minute, I was hoping that God would meet my needs. He will, but hang on a minute before we get there. Think for a moment about who God is. Because at the end of the day, what it means to be a Christian is that you and I are a reflection of God. We call him our father. We are his children. At the end of the day, we need to be a reflection of our father who art in heaven. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then we look to Jesus. And what did he do? He gave his life. He died on the cross for our sins. Christianity, folks, if you don't know it yet, is very much a faith or religion that is about giving. Now, most pastors, most preachers are afraid to talk on the subject of giving because of the the abuse that has happened on TV and in, in pulpits and churches around the world. We're afraid to talk about giving because the last thing we want for our people to think or our visitors to think is, oh yeah, I knew, come to church and the first thing they're going to talk about is give money. But before we go down that road, I, I need to give you a context for that discussion. Why do, we, why do we ask and why do we teach giving? If some of you are aware of our discipleship process, you know that the seventh habit in our seven habits is in fact giving. And we include it because it is such a critical part of your spiritual growth and development. Well, I think you're going to see in a moment just how critical this giving is. Do you know that at Christmas time, we, uh, from November to December, we were able to give as a church collectively over $32,000. And that was, that was for, um, for, well, we actually, we actually were able to get 300 bags for uh, Hope for the Island. How many remember that? 300 bags. We set a goal. We reached that goal. We filled them. And it's uh, a bag full of, of, uh, of toiletries and items that will, the people need. They're, they're really needed. We, we, we did that as a church. We raised money for um, hampers for people who live up north. We raised money for, uh, to, to give and bless the Bible college teachers. And we've got eight kids in Bible school, so we had a little bit of money that we could give them a bit of money to help them uh, as they're out of town and going to Bible school. We believe in giving, and we're, we're happy to ask that you give. And there's good reason for it. Before we talk about the giving, though, we need to talk about poverty so that we can understand what poverty is. The problem with so many of us is that we don't really get it. We don't really understand what it's all about. How many of us have heard, someone, have heard people say, and maybe you've said it yourself, you know, if those poor people would only pull, their, pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Anybody ever heard that? that, that you've heard that expression. 
You know, you just, if they would just help themselves, and, and some people think that, the, that this is a Bible verse, God helps those who help themselves. How many know that's not in the Bible? But the, people have that notion that, you know, if they just would, would, you know, buckle down and work a little harder and, and pay more attention to their money, that they wouldn't be in that, in that difficult situation. And if we're doing well ourselves financially, we've got everything in a row. We find ourselves impatient at times with those who are poor and in need. And here's, here's what we say and think. We, we'll say, you know, um, I worked hard to get a good education. And if, if these people would just go and get a good education, they could get a good job. How many of us have been guilty of thinking like that? Or we'll say things like this, I'm, I'm careful with my money, and if they would just be careful with their money, these poor people. And you'll, you may have said, you know, I've learned how to delay gratification. And if these poor people would just learn how to delay gratification. And maybe we'll say something like this, you know, if they would just quit smoking, how much money they'd have in their bank account. If they'd just quit drinking. If they would just get off drugs. If they'd quit gambling. Man, they'd have so much money, they wouldn't be in poverty. They would be doing well. Now, it's interesting. If you study the life of Christ and his teaching, you discover that the very, very first thing that Jesus talks about when he begins his teaching ministry, the very first sentence that he utters is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those are the first words that Jesus utters. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus addresses the poverty question as the, as the very first thing he teaches. Now we look at Matthew, Matthew recording the, the Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew's, Matthew records it like this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Luke records it like this. He just says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what we all need to understand today, because some people will say, look, there's, there's contradictions in the Bible. There's no contradiction here, folks. Listen, what we all need to understand about poverty is that all poverty is a reflection of our need of God. And what you may not understand today is that there are all kinds of poverty not just financial poverty. There is relational poverty or social poverty. Someone once said that, uh, that right now, loneliness is the, one of the greatest epidemics in North America. There is emotional poverty. There is poverty in, in marriage and poverty in families. There's a severe shortcoming and... The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that this poverty, this, this poorness, is because of a lack of Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now that the solution, the answer to all poverty is Jesus. Well, Pastor Owen, what on earth does that mean? Well, here's, here's how uh, Matthew 5, verse 3 is, is interpreted by the New Living Translation. It says, God blesses those who are poor, listen to this, and realize their need for him. 
God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now here's, here's what you and I need to understand. The blessing of God, the provision of God, the help of God comes at that moment when we realize that what we really need is not more money, not more counseling, not more friends. What we really need is Jesus. Because here's what you will discover when Jesus Christ is in your life. Those who follow Jesus have not just said, okay, I put my faith in Christ, I'm a Christian now, all is done. No. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ means that we start living life the way Jesus has instructed us, the way he has taught us, the way he has modeled it to us. And when you and I begin to live the life that Jesus calls us to live, guess what happens to poverty? It's eradicated. And we have seen this around the world. This church has gone to many nations. We've sent out many, many uh, teams of people from our church. And wherever we go with our message and with our work, we see poverty being eradicated. We see the standard of living go up. I'm thinking, for instance, of Burundi. The village of hope there that we've been investing in. There's some hundred kids that we're blessing and investing in. Guess what's happening, folks, to these kids? Their kids, their lives are improving. And not just their lives, the lives of the families that they come from. What's the answer? What's the solution? People start living the way Jesus calls you to live. I remember very clearly when my, my family started taking seriously this business of being Christian. My sister and I became Christians when we were uh, in early childhood. I was about eight years old. I can remember driving home from church uh, that, that, I think it was a Wednesday night, or Monday night, pardon me, Monday night boys brigade at Calvary Temple. And I accepted Jesus into my heart that day. And on the way home, my mom said to me, you make sure you tell your father when you get in the house. Now, what I didn't know, folks, is that my father actually grew up as a Christian. He just told me the other day that he also gave his heart to Jesus when he was eight years old. But at some point along the line, drifted away. And so I had no idea of my dad's background in, in, in his faith experience or his faith journey. But I went home, and, and I was so scared to tell my dad. And I finally said, Dad, I just want you to know that I became a Christian. And I still remember it, sitting on the green couch in the, in the living room in our house on 31 Coburg. And I didn't know what my dad's reaction was going to be. I didn't know if he, would, if he was going to be angry or sad or mad. Or, I had no idea. But I was... I was pleasantly surprised at his reaction. It wasn't long after that, folks, that my dad started bringing our whole family to church. And I remember very clearly that our our socioeconomic condition improved. And my dad went and started his his own business. Our, Our life, our family changed dramatically. I remember getting new clothes. I particularly remember my brand new leisure suit. That's not something you normally brag about. But those of you who are a little older, remember what a leisure suit. It's a polyester suit with wide lapels. And I had a really stunning polyester shirt under it with massive collar. that You, you put the collar of the shirt over the collar of the suit jacket. And I tell you, I look like a million bucks. And I, not only that, but I had brown elevator shoes, elevator boots. Anybody remember that? I look like a rock star, Adam. You think you look good with that hat on? I looked even better. 
My life was, our lives were transformed. And not only was I wearing these hot, hot duds. We were going to restaurants. Eating well, folks. Life was good. Now, look at, here's what, here's what else you need to know. Is that not only did life improve for us, but guess what we were doing now? We were in, heavily involved in the life of the church. One of the very first things that my dad taught me when it comes to anything spiritual is that I need to give. He said, Alan, you need to give. Now, I had a paper route at that time. And I don't think I ever made a nickel delivering the free press. Anybody, any paper delivery boys here? I, mean, I don't know if you can relate to this. You don't make any money, right? Because most of the time, nobody pays, nobody will pay up. I have people that owe me for weeks and weeks, and it's come back another day. So I, I think what was happening is that I think I was paying the free press to be a, a paper boy, not making much money, but anything that I had, I mean, I was prepared to give it because my dad told me to. And it became for me a habit. Our whole family was in the habit of tithing. My dad was in the habit of tithing and giving to the poor and to the needy and getting involved in serving others. It was our family that would go and open Calvary Temple Youth Camp. And then at the end of the season, we would go close it all down and winterize it, getting it ready for the winter. It was thrilling days for me. Our lives were transformed. That sense of not having was gone. The sense of abundance in our lives was rich and was thrilling. And we found ourselves being used by God to make a difference in the lives of others. Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart today because for so many of us, we really don't understand what poverty is. We think it just means being short of money, but it's far more than that, folks. It's a poverty of the Spirit where we don't have enough. And because we don't have enough, It becomes an attitude so that we find ourselves being stingy with people in need. Listen, watch this. Stingy with people in need. Stingy with our children. Stingy with our emotion. Stingy with praises and a pat on the back. Stingy with our spouse and an unwillingness to say, hey, I really love you or I forgive you. You see where I'm going with this? This poverty mentality affects every area of our life. So that you're unwilling to go the extra mile at work, for instance. And if your boss asks you to do something extra or stay a little later, no way, I get paid till 4 o'clock and I'm out of here at 4 o'clock and I don't care what you say. (laughs) Pretty good, eh? Isn't that the attitude? It's a poverty mentality. I got to look out for myself. I got to look out for me. And anytime we do give, we give so that everybody can notice it, everybody can see it, everybody can see what a wonderful person I am. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need of God. For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So here's what we need to understand today. Is that God calls us to be generous. He calls us to give, to have a, an abundance mentality, not just so that others can be helped, not just so that we care for the widow and the orphan and the poor, but so that our needs can be met, so that we can have a great marriage, so that we can have a great relationship with our kids, 
Our kids all have chores. Sarah's 17 years old. She just turned 17 yesterday. Make sure you say happy birthday to her after the service or else. <laughs> she turned 17. She's got chores to do. She's studying. She says, Dad, um, I'm so swamped. I've got so much to do. I, I, I can't do what I, what I need to do. And I say to her, I don't care. No, I don't say that. I say, honey, go do your work, and I'll do your chores for you. I want to tell you something. That's a relatively modern approach to, to parenting. Because we think, no, those kids are going to do their chores, and they're going to learn a lesson, and they're not going to, you know. No, here's, here's what it means to have an abundance mentality. It means that you're going to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to help you right now. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to help you do what you need to do. Do you see the difference between that poverty mentality that says everybody's going to be held accountable and everybody's got to stand up and, and pull their, themselves up by their bootstraps, take care of their own needs? That's poverty. The abundance that God calls us to is an abundance where he says, you know what, I want to use you and I want to, to bless you so that you can be a blessing to other people. Folks, the simple fact of the matter is, and this is the gospel that we preach at this church, the simple fact of the matter is this, is that embracing Christ and living according to his teaching is the beginning of the end of all poverty. Can I say that to you again? Embracing Christ and his teaching is the beginning of the end of poverty. Folks, this is why we see in the West in the Western countries that had a very, very strong Christian mooring of Christian foundation. This is why we've experienced the kind of wealth that we've experienced. Now, some of you are protesting and saying, well, hold on a minute. What about Wall Street? Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? As long as we were living according to the, the precepts and the standards and the teachings of Christ, all went well for us. But when we became greedy and when we lost that sense of generosity and kindness, that's when things started getting really bad for us. And we see right now, we see the West in decline. And there's nobody here that would dispute that. We're in trouble. We're in severe trouble. So then, we understand what poverty is. It's the absence of Jesus Christ in our lives. So the next question is this, is how, how can God bless us? How can God Give us the abundance that we need in order to be a blessing to others. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. James chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. We'll just read verse 27. It says this. It says that pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, there's nothing superstitious about this religion. Did you notice that? There's none of this rub, you know, rub the, the, the genie lamp and up pops God with your, granting you your three wishes. No. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, here's, here's what I've discovered, and you probably will agree with this, is that we usually hear the first half of that verse, but not the last half, Right? We hear that part that says pure and genuine religion in the sight of God. The Father means caring for orphans and widows, and then we stop there. But the verse, or the thought, has a second part to it, and it says this, refusing to let the world corrupt you. 
Now, here's what you and I need to understand. James adds this, this phrase to the end of that thought and refusing to let, let the world corrupt you to reveal to us what our fundamental problem is. So when we talk about the world, what, what is he saying? He's talking about a philosophy that rejects God and his commands. He's, when he talks about the world, he's talking about a philosophy that says, I don't need God, I don't need his teachings, I don't need Jesus, I can do it on my own. And so some of you will say, well, you know, Pastor Allen, you don't have to be a Christian to be a giver. No, it's true. Because we do know there's a lot of people who are not Christians, who are not followers of, followers of Christ, who do give, in fact. But here's what you will discover. You will discover that it, more often than not, tends to be token giving. What do I mean by that? Well, let me, let me remind you of my dear grandmother. Not my dad's mom on the other side. The one who uh, didn't become a Christian until the very end of her life. She, she was allergic to church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, can't go there. I'll, I'll break out itching. That's, that was grandma. But this one time, this one time, I persuaded her to come to church. I said, Grandma, I've been in the mystery all these years. You've never come to church once. And she said, all right, I'll come. What's the best time to come when there's not many people there? So I said, well, you can come on a Sunday night. And those were the days we had Sunday night services over on Elgin Avenue. So she showed up, and she had her big purse handy. And uh, it came time for offering time. Now, here, here's, let me give you a bit of background here. Grandma... She felt that church and pastors and ministers and TV evangelists, all they wanted was your money. That's, that's all she had in her head. She, she did not see anything else but that. She didn't see any of the good that the church does. So when it came time for offering, she opened up her purse so that everybody could see it. She reached into the bottom of her purse, pulled out her change purse so, again, everybody could see it, opened it up, and then pulled out a $5 bill. And did this? I'm not kidding you. I'm, I'm standing here speaking. Grandma's sitting there, and I'm watching this charade. And I'm going, why did I invite her to church? <laughs> and when the offering plate went by, she held up the offering plate and put the $5 bill in the offering plate so that everybody could see it. And then when it went by, she had this real smug look on her face. She'd given a lot of money. That's called token giving. And you want to know something, folks? The corporate world does the same thing. We're going to give, we're going to give 1% of all our, all, our don't, our, all our earnings to, you know, muscular dystrophy, and everybody says, oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Meanwhile, it represents a small, small, small amount of their total earnings. I'm going to tell you something right now. When it comes to abundance mentality versus a poverty mentality, where we're truly serious about giving and helping the poor and the needy, I'm telling you folks, it's going to take more than a $5 bill. When I started in the ministry, I made just under $1,000 a month, and that was enough money to pay for my rent for my apartment and a car payment and a little bit of food. And I got a call from a guy that was in the... Uh, he was in the business of selling you know, mutual funds and investments and that sort of thing. He says, you know, you're starting out in the ministry at the beginning of your career. I need to meet with you. I need to, need to get you set up so that you'll be secure for the future. 
And say, okay, great, that sounds good. I'd love to have a secure future. I'd love to start investing. It sounds like a grown-up thing to do, a mature thing to do. So we sat down, and I, he said, okay, what are your needs? I told him my needs, my car, my apartment, and uh, guesstimated what, how much food we need. And I said, oh, but you forgot the tithing part. And also, I need to give some money to missions and to the poor people. He sat back, and he started laughing at me. My financial advisor is laughing at me. And I said to him, uh, what's, 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 what's wrong? He says, well, here's the thing, Alan. If you're going to tithe uh, and also give to missions and to the poor, well, you, you can't eat yourself. You're going to have to give something up. You either give up your car, you give up your apartment, or you stop eating. But you can't do all these. But I said, but I have to. And furthermore, I believe that God will make that possible. He'll help me with that. And so he, he said, he stood up, stuck out his hand, shook my hand. It was nice to, nice, to, nice to see you, nice to chat with you, but I can't help you. I can't be your financial advisor. Because what you're asking to do can't be done. So I walked out of, the, out of his office and um, said farewell to him. But I said, I'm going to tell you something, sir. My tithing and my giving to the poor and the needy is going to be the very first thing that I do. Because that's the thing that's going to secure my future. He just laughed. Now, interestingly, this guy was a board member of a certain church in Winnipeg. Totally did not understand where it was coming from, where it was going, what this was about. Why? Because for most of us, we have a poverty mentality, and we think that i got to take care of myself. But following Jesus Christ is a completely different story. It's all about letting God provide for you and meet your needs. And it's living according to the instructions in God's Word. So what does God say in His Word? Well, here it is. Proverbs 19, verse 17, it says this. It says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and He will reward them for what they have done. And Proverbs 28, 27 says, Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. But those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. Here's what I know with so many people. You're living under a curse. You have actually stopped the flow of God's blessing into your life because you simply don't trust him. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now because I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor Ellen, what you're asking for is impossible. I can't live this way. Pastor Ellen, I don't have enough to pay the bills. And I'm going to say, well, welcome to the club. I understand that. I live like that. I lived like that. But here's what I discovered, folks. I learned at an early age in my career and in my Christian life to depend on God to meet my needs. And here's what God has done for me. He's met my every need. He has not let me down, not even once, Jeff, not once has God failed me. Do you know, I came home from the mission field at age 30. I didn't have a nickel in my pocket. I had nothing. I wanted to buy a house. Some of you have heard this before. The only way I could buy that house was by a miracle. I'm praying and saying, God, show me what to do. I've got to provide for my wife. I've got to provide for my, my children. I can't live with my in-laws forever as much as they loved us and love us. Got to get established. God, help. 
And suddenly God reminded me of a simple little insurance policy that I had when I, was, when I just turned 18 years old. I started contributing to it, but found that I couldn't do the work of God and contribute to what God wanted me to do and also support this, this uh, insurance policy. So I stopped, but I still had it. And all of a sudden, God brought that to my memory. I, I tell you, I hadn't thought of it for, I don't know, 10 years. Had never thought about it, and all of a sudden I remember it. So I called this agent, and I said, do I still have that policy? He said, yes. I said, can I borrow from it? He goes, well, as a matter of fact, you can. I said, how much money is in there? He said, well, you can borrow $2,000. I'll tell you, my heart skipped a beat, because guess what? Guess what I needed for the down payment on the house I wanted to buy? Yeah, you know, $2,000. So he said, I'm borrowing it. Can you lend it? Yep. Come pick up the check. Picked up the check. Bought the house. Had to go to Greece to, to do some, to wrap up some business in Greece. And while I was there, I got word that the company that was holding that money went bankrupt. I didn't have to pay that $2,000 back. And I would have lost that $2,000 had God not brought it to my memory. You tell me that God doesn't sort things out for us. But you see, folks, it takes an abundance mentality, a, a realization that God wants to meet your needs. How many know today that God wants to meet your needs? But most of us don't really believe it because we don't practice it. James will tell you, you, show me what, you, you can show me what you believe by what you do. What you do is the thing that proves what you believe. So here's the thing. The Proverbs tell us that whoever is kind to the Lord or is kind to the poor, lends to God, and that God will reward them. He will repay them. I'm going to tell you this, folks. You cannot give God. You cannot give him. And furthermore, it says that whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. So you're sitting here today, and you're lacking, and you, you're short, and you, you can't make ends meet, and you're in trouble financially? And let's go beyond the finances. You're in trouble emotionally and socially, and you're fighting with your boss and your workmates, and you're fighting with your wife and your kids. Your problem, folks, is that you've got a poverty mentality. You haven't learned yet what it means to submit to God and do things God's way. And God's saying you need to develop an abundance mentality where you're giving. Where you're giving and giving and giving. And the Bible promises us, folks, that he will provide for us and he'll meet our needs. This writer of Proverbs says, but those who close their eyes to the poverty of others will be cursed. So let me ask that question again. Are you under a curse? Does it feel like you're living under a curse? I can tell you God loves you and he doesn't want you to feel that or he doesn't want you to live like that. He wants you to be free. He wants you to experience his rich provision in your life. But it's going to take a change in your mindset. It's going to take a step of faith. Because here's what you need to know. At the end of the day, what matters is that God has got a hold of your heart. When God's got a hold of your heart and you step out in faith and you do what God tells you to do, Folks, you open the floodgates of heaven and God pours out his provision in your life. You're struggling with gambling? Folks, rather than putting money into the slot machine, 
Put it into the offering basket. Put it into the giving center. Watch God provide for you and meet your needs. You're struggling with addictions. Take that money and give it to the work of God and watch God heal you of your poverty. Because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about relational poverty. We're talking about financial poverty. We're talking about emotional, whatever. Whatever your need is, God wants to meet it. I love what Jesus says at the very, very start of his ministry. He addresses this issue of poverty and saying that when you realize that Jesus Christ is the answer to your need, this is the turning point for you. Do you realize today that Jesus is the answer to your poverty, your problems, your struggles? God wants to change all that. But listen to this. Jesus then goes a step further. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, listen to this. He says, give and you will receive. Did you hear that? Do you need God's help? Do you need God's provision? Are you short? Take a step of faith. How many, how many think today that Jesus lies? If Jesus lies, I don't want any part of this Christianity thing. Jesus does not lie. And he says, give and you will receive. And listen to this. He says, your gift will return to you in full. But not just return to you in full. He says, it will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over. And poured into your lap. Look, the picture is that you, you've got so much in your cup. It's just running over into your lap. You've got so much. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of provision and blessing of God I want in my life. Anybody with me on that? Jesus says, the amount that you give will determine the amount you get back. And so here's the thing. Remember, look, I know some, some of you are saying this is impossible. I can't live like this. You're right, it is impossible. But Jesus said this. He said, with you it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Folks, this is what we call a spiritual principle. The natural mind fights against it. We, call it. we call it the world. That's what James called it. But the spirit within us says, yes, God, that makes sense. That's the way I want to live. I want to trust God to meet my needs. So I would say this to you today. If you're in need, if you're a gambler, if you're a, you've got some addiction you're struggling with, if you're suffering in your, in your marriage or in your family, go give a gift to God and watch your attitude change. It's got to start somewhere. And folks, it's not because I need your money. It's not because God needs your money, but you need to give as a way to break that poverty mentality that you have. God wants your heart, and the only way he's going to get it is by you responding in faith to his commands. Give, and you will receive. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your presence here. Thank you, God, that you want to help every person here with the poverty that they're experiencing. And for some, it probably or may not be financial poverty that they're experiencing. It may, in fact, be relational, some emotional issue, some health issue. 
God, you're calling us to be a people that reflect you. And you, your word tells us that you loved us so much that you gave your only son. You gave everything. And Jesus gave everything in giving us his life. So God, we pray for the grace. We pray for the strength. We pray for the power, the ability to take these steps of faith to do what you called us to do and to watch the miracles begin to roll in our lives. Thank you, God, for teaching us and instructing us and showing us how to live with an abundance mentality. Would you stand with me, please? Father, as we go from here now, we pray that we would go with great joy in our hearts, recognizing that we don't have to keep living like this, that we can have a great life. If only we'll... If only we would do what you tell us to do. So God, help us, we pray, to give so that the poor, the needy, the orphan, the widow would be well provided for. And God, we know that as we provide for the poor, our needs will be met. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go give.